Well, again, good morning. <clears throat> it is a good to be with you. Thank you. There's a little enthusiastic group over there. Uh, we are in this series, Weightier Matters. Tom started us out in that last week, coming out of Micah 6, the things that the Lord cares about. He cares about fidelity, walking faithfully, humbly with the Lord. He loves mercy, and he wants us to do justice. And... Uh, that's a big, that's a big uh, topic. That's a big subject. How do we how do, we do that? Uh, there's a line from the song that uh, jumped out at me uh, when Chip and I were talking about this service. He sent me the lyrics of this, uh, of this song. He says, how, it says in the song, how free is anyone when some are still in chains? And it reminded me of a, a well-known known saying, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the many sayings by Anonymous. Uh, no one really knows who said it originally, but but the saying is, no one is free when others are oppressed. And there's something compelling about that idea that we're connected to each other uh, and that tolerating, or worse yet, perpetrating injustice against someone really kind of spoils it for all, uh, us all. It corrupts it for us all. There's a line later in the song, though, that, that I like even better. For love means taking on the weight of what was won. You like the idea that Jesus won freedom for you, uh, freedom from the oppression of sin uh, and death. And if you do, then live in a way that honors that, honors his victory. Love others. Do justice. We need to take on some responsibility in response to God's mercy. Now, again, this idea of doing justice, it's, it seems really big. You know, how, how do I engage with that? What, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Well, I would say that it begins in the same way uh, that the Lord addresses it uh, as he's seeking to do justice for us. He listens. He hears. And when we listen, it begins to change everything. We see uh, the pattern of that in our uh, passage this morning, Psalm 40, we read it as a call to worship. I'm going to read it again here for, not that I'm going to exposit it all the way through, but it's a structure for us in understanding how listening is so important. And I'm going to read um, Luke chapter 6, a very familiar passage. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He inclined, he, he, he leaned in. To hear my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Maybe you know it better. It's a very familiar, famous passage for those of us who grew up in the church, but maybe you memorized it better as, do unto others as... That was was better than the first service. (laughs) We've still got a little ways to go, though. Do unto others as... Yeah. Love your neighbor. Pray with me for a moment. Father, we come to you this morning and, and, and we do ask that as we meditate on these passages and just the subject of doing justice and listening, that you by your spirit would work in our hearts. You would show us how we might honor you 
uh, with the way that we live, not exchange our obedience for your salvation, but simply live out of gratitude um, by loving our neighbor, by doing justice, and how that begins with listening. Lord, work that in us this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, uh, on the front end, I'm going to recognize the inherent irony of preaching a sermon on listening, of talking about listening. You have to listen to me while I tell you what you should, how you should listen. Uh, you know, there's some tension there, but uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of things in this sermon where you're going to say to yourself, hmm, that's, there, there seems to be some, some irony there, or, or is Daryl really the, in the best position to say X? Um, so we're just going to dive right in, recognizing that tension. Um, and I want to talk about this subject of listening by talking about the insensitivity uh, injustice that happens in our everyday relationships. Uh, small, big ways sometimes, but, but often in small ways between men and women, between black and white, brown and yellow, whatever combination you want to put together there, between majority and minority, however you want to define majority and minority, minority you know, racially or culturally, whatever it may be. Maybe it's even just you have a minority perspective on your work committee. There's a majority and a minority there. I'm going to enter that conversation by talking about one specific dynamic that often happens in working relationships, but, but, but really in, in many other places, the, the dynamics between men and women. Has anybody here ever heard of the term mansplaining? Some have. Raise your, go ahead, raise your hand if you've heard mansplaining. If you haven't heard of it, mansplaining is when a man explains something to a woman in a patronizing way, and it often begins with him disregarding what she's saying by interrupting her mid-sentence. Let me tell you how it really is. That's uh, mansplaining. And that leads to uh, uh, the second term I want to talk about, manterrupting. <laughs> Anybody heard of manterrupting? Maybe? Again, it's uh, when uh, there's an unnecessary interruption of a woman by a man. And, uh, you know, I guess in some circles it's so frustrating and, and, and annoying that, uh, and I hesitate to even mention this, some guys, I'm sorry in advance. There is an app uh, that uh, you can turn on and it registers when a male voice interrupts a female voice in a conversation and it will count how many times it happens. Then there's my personal favorite, bropriating. Bropriating, that's when um, a woman says something in a meeting and then uh, no one picks it up, but a man will repeat it and will take credit for his, as if it's his own idea. Now I'm having a bit of fun there that I might have to pay for later. Uh, but I wanna point out a simple fact that listening is important. Listening or the failure to do so is related to issues of power in our relationships. Who gets heard and why? And because it's related to issues of power, it's related to justice as well as love. In fact, in seeing justice done, it seems like the first step always is to listen. And since the Lord cares about justice and mercy, he, he wants his children to be loved, guess what he does? He listens to us. He inclines his ear to hear. 
He doesn't turn his back and say, yes, I can hear you. He turns toward us and says, tell me that again. And if the Lord does it, perhaps we should do the same. Now, maybe you might have a question about the premise. Does God listen? Sometimes we feel that way, that, that God is not hearing our prayers. But we see again and again in the scriptures that the writers of the Psalms and, and, and other books of the Bible say, yes, he does listen to us. Um, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry reached his ears. The Lord hears his children. Doesn't always mean he acts right away, but he hears. And furthermore, furthermore, those crying out to God connect his hearing to the fact that he will do justice that he's going to see justice done. Psalm uh, 10 says this, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Why? That you might do to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is on the earth may strike terror no more. God listens first that he might do justice. And God does more than hear. And here I'm going to be, I don't know if what the right term is, pedantic is not quite right, but I'm going to make a distinction between two words that are really synonyms, hearing and listening, okay? Sometimes we make the distinction, okay, you've heard me, but you haven't listened. Or maybe we use it the other way around. Well, you listened, but you didn't really hear me. You get the difference that people are making there? You've taken in the sounds. You definitely heard it. You can repeat it back to me, but you didn't engage, you didn't really seek to understand what I was saying. And he, the Lord listens, but more than that, he, he gets it. You might say, well, how can God get some of my situation? He's, he's other. He lives in heaven. He's, he's surrounded by the angels. His circumstances are so different than mine. How in the world could he understand what it's like to be me, what it's like to be human? Can God really understand what it's like to be human? Yes. How is it that God can understand what it means to be human? Any guesses? Interactive moment here, come on. Because he took on flesh. He took on flesh and he lived just as we live. The writer of Hebrews says this about Christ, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He listens, and he gets it. He gets it, and he hears you when you call out to him. He did it in the past. God responded to his people when they called out to him, when they were in slavery in Egypt. Yes, they were in slavery a long time, but he delivered them. He heard their cry and delivered them. He overturned the oppression of foreign nations as we see this cycle of, uh, of oppression from, from neighboring uh, nations in the book of Judges. He returned his people when they were taken into exile by the Babylonians. He returned them to their homeland. And then God himself took on human existence to undo the oppression of sin and death. He loves you. He hears you, and he seeks justice for you. 
He's a good father. Now, what father doesn't have ears for his children? Well, I'll admit, sometimes I don't have ears the way I should. But I want to. And our father in heaven is a good father. He's a perfect father. He is inclined to hear his children. What father, when he hears his daughter cry from the upstairs bedroom, help, doesn't come running to see what's going on. When he gets there, what father doesn't ask, what is wrong, and listens to the answer to that question. Listen that he might know how to put things right. Maybe the child has fallen and hurt herself. Maybe a favorite toy has been broken by a careless friend. Maybe a heart has been broken and betrayed. And when the father listens, he seeks to put things right. He, he seeks to, to heal the wounds. He seeks to, to, to fix the toy that is broken. He wants to bind up the broken heart in his embrace. And by making sure that whoever broke his little girl's heart is held to account. And when there's justice, there's security. There's safety. When justice is done, it brings joy. It brings trust in the relationship. And that's exactly what we see in Psalm 40. Verse three, he put a new song in my mouth. Once he inclined his ear, once he brought me up out of the pit, he put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Once People see what God has done for me, how, how he has restored my joy. They will turn to him and trust him for their joy as well. Now, God brings this justice most ultimately into our lives in the most profound way in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where even death is going to be undone. He's going to put all things right. We're going to have life eternal. Now, what are you called to as it relates to doing justice? I don't know. Maybe you're not called to serve on the Kirkwood Human Rights Commission. Yes, there is such a thing. Maybe you're not called to march for justice in response to a controversial verdict, but you are loved by God. And so you're called to respond to that and take on the weight of what that love has won for you, as I can refer back to the song, that means loving your neighbor, seeking justice for him, seeking justice for her. Doing ju- and doing justice begins with listening, hearing. What is the plight? Now, sometimes we get very excited. We know God's done something awesome for us. We're all jazzed up. We're energized. And so we rush in to be uh, the savior to somebody else. And that's typically a disaster. The scriptures warn us against ill-informed good intentions. We've got to listen first. Proverbs uh, 18 says this, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is, fo- it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. I want to help, but if I'm going to help, I've got to understand first, and that means I've got to listen. I've got to listen and gain wisdom. Why is it that we have such a hard time listening? You know, how many here, some of you are very good listeners. Most of us are not. Why is it that we struggle with it? Well, one of the reasons we struggle is that power, if we're in positions of power, 
uh, it has a way of dulling our listening skills because our circumstances don't force us uh, to take the time that is necessary, right? Uh, if we're a boss, I don't need to listen to my employees. They need to listen to me, right? People have to listen to us, our children, our employees, those in a minority perspective. Again, that could be political or racial or, again, just in the workplace, having a minority perspective about the project at hand. And if we're running something and we're trying to get something done, we say, look, I got a lot to do. I don't have time to waste to listen to every last complaint about how things are going, right? I got stuff to do. And so we deny the person in front of us a hearing. And in so doing, we deny them justice. Sometimes power is a way of dulling our listening skills, but it's not always power that causes us problems. Sometimes it's hurts, past hurts. We feel hurt by the person in front of us, or maybe we feel hurt by a group that they represent. They're a part of that group somehow. Uh, many women have been hurt, victimized by men. And in every relationship with a man, they sort of bring that with them. It's understandable. Minorities feel victimized by those in majority culture. And so they might say, look, I've been listening all my life. Listening is not for me. It's for somebody else. So listening is denied to the person in front of us. We deny them a hearing. And so we deny them justice. And we all have moments when we are the person in the, with the upper hand. Now, it's true that some of us have the upper hand more frequently because of circumstances, because of culture, because of gender, whatever it may be. But we all have our moments when we have the, uh, the upper hand um, in our employ employment situation or in the neighborhood with our spouse as a parent in a personal interaction. We're going to have our moment. The question is, what are we going to do with that moment when we have the upper hand? Will we use it to balance the scales? to get even, haha, <laughs> this is my moment, finally someone has to listen to me? Or will we use it, use our abilities, use our position, use our power to ensure that the people around us are heard? We need to listen. We need to listen because we need to understand. We need to get it. We need to get where the other person is coming from. So what does it mean to listen? What does it look like to get it? Well, for us finite mortals, listening is a disposition to receive information that might change our behavior, that might change our interpretation of a situation. So it might, it might alter us. And if we're not open to being altered in a conversation, then we're not listening. We're not really engaging. All we're doing is waiting for our turn to talk. Justice begins with those with power, whatever power it might be, hearing the plight of those with less power, the oppressed, whatever that oppression might look like. Sometimes it's big stuff, sometimes it's little stuff. Now, the problem is we tend to be dialed in more often to when we are not being heard, when we are in the weak position, when we're not in power. We're a child, and we have the great sense that our parents aren't listening to us, okay? Okay? I'm dialed into where I don't have power. 
Uh, we're a worker with a boss who treats us unfairly. We're an owner of a business with unreasonable clients. Even as an owner of a business, sometimes we don't feel like we have power because we feel subject to our clients and their unreasonable de demands. We're dialed into that. Uh, we're from a lower economic class and when we're in a setting where people with an economic class higher than us and maybe because of the way we dress or I don't know, we feel like we're not being heard because maybe they're too good for us. What we need to do is become aware that what we feel when we're subject to someone else's power is what other people feel when they're subject to our power, our dominance. That's what they feel about us. And how, how would we like to be treated when we're under someone's authority? That's how we should treat those under our authority. When you're at work and your boss is not listening to what you're saying, when your boss is doing something that's really creating a tremendous amount of workload for you and you wanna say, ow, that hurts, would you please stop that? Do you wanna be heard? Again, an interactive moment. You want to be heard, right? Yes. Absolutely. So when you have that power over other people, how should you treat them? You should listen. Get back to that passage, Luke chapter 6. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Let's go back to the way we probably memorized it as children. Do unto others... If you want people to listen to you, what should you do? Listen. And I don't want us to read it woodenly either. So we might say to ourselves, well, you know, I like getting cards, so I'm going to give cards to other people. That's what it's saying, right? I, I, I like going to the cards game. So I would love the present, if someone would buy me a present for my birthday, season tickets to the Cardinals game. So I love my wife, so I'm going to buy her season tickets to the Cardinals game, right? That's what this passage is telling us, right? No, that's not what it's telling us. It's telling us that you want to be cherished and respected in ways that you appreciate, so cherish and respect others in the way they can appreciate it. Deborah Tannen wrote an article, The Power of Talk, Who Gets Heard and Why. And in her article, she talks about this dynamic of communication and being heard and understanding what people are saying. She writes this, communication isn't as simple as saying what you mean. How you say what you mean is crucial and differs from one person to the next because using language is learned social behavior. How we talk and listen are deeply influenced by cultural experience. Although we might think that our way of saying, saying what we mean are natural, we can run into trouble if we interpret and evaluate others as if they necessarily felt the same way uh, we'd feel if we spoke the way they did. That's a little bit complicated, but do you get what's being said? Do you get the, the sort of the nuance of this? So when I say, this is, this is, here's a great example, the word fine. What does the word fine mean? My wife asks me, how was dinner? And I say fine. See, she, this is, as this comes up in our family. I say he was fine. She goes, huh. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean it. 
I mean it the same way the Beatles meant it. When, when they said, I'm in love with her and I feel fine. But she heard it as, it's really not all that great, but I don't want to say that. Fine. It's hard sometimes. What, what does that person mean when they say that? Do they mean what I would mean when I say that? Or do they mean something different? And so communication can be tough. It, it takes work to really understand people, even the people you spend a lot of time with. Like, what does it mean? Here's another example from our house, just occurring to me. What does it mean to turn down the air conditioning? You need to turn it down. In my mind, that means it's too cold, so shut it down so it gets warmer. In my wife's mind, it means it's too hot. You need to turn the temperature down. Communication takes work. It takes patience. It takes humility. And it takes a commitment to seeing justice done in our relationships. You need to listen. You need to engage. I was challenged with a very small example of this. this um, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself there. What it means is that sometimes we need to listen to people who make us mad and try to understand what they're saying. We need to listen to a radio program coming from a different perspective than mine. Read articles that come from different perspectives than mine. Maybe you need to listen to a radio program. And you might not, it might, you might not, see, you might be thinking I mean certain things, but I might not be meaning what you think. Listen to certain radio programs that make you mad. And then try to understand what it is they're saying. Maybe you need to listen to Rush Limbaugh. Maybe you need to listen to NPR. I'm not trying to argue any case, but there's something that makes you mad in there, isn't there? And listen so that you might understand what's being said. It means sometimes getting mad, but then pushing through that to get to understanding, to know how you can love people who are different than you. It always means listening to the person right in front of you. And not just waiting for your turn to talk. Again, I was challenged with this idea uh, the other day on the phone. I was on the phone with a fellow pastor. Uh, I won't tell you his name. We're just going to call him uh, Pastor Aaron Thomas. It's not his real name. Uh, And someone in this room was here when this conversation was going on, so don't unveil me here, okay? Don't unmask. I was talking to this pastor. I've been acquainted with him for about 15 years. And uh, what you need to know going into this conversation that personally as a pastor, I tend to be very aware that, that being clergy separates me from people. You know, the second I say I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, you know, and then they change their language and how they're talking about things. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm Daryl. So when people, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to people, I say, please call me Daryl. Some people are still don't, don't, don't feel comfortable with that. I say, don't call me Pastor Mady. If you need to use the term pastor, call me Pastor Daryl. I'm fine with that. That's my disposition. Now, I had this really interesting conversation when I teach pastors in Haiti. It's a totally different thing. You know, using the office is very important to, com- to, to communicate respect. Um, getting back to our church for a second, think of the way Pastor Tom introduces himself every Sunday. Do you remember how he introduces himself? He says, hi, I'm Tom Ricks, one of the pastors here. I told my Haitian brothers about that, and they were like, what? Why would he do that? Why would he diminish his authority? We need authority to be able to speak to our people. And so they emphasize the, 
the highness of the office. And, and, and often I see in the African-American church in America, not in every place, but, but in a lot of places, a similar kind of emphasis on office. Now, my friend, Pastor Aaron Thomas, is an African-American. He works in the, in, in the African-American church predominantly. And we get into this conversation. And I, I, we get on the phone and I say, hey, hey, Aaron, how are you doing? It's good talking with you. And he responds back, I'm doing well. How are you, Pastor Mady? And the imbalance between the way we addressed each other just sort of jumped out at me. I wasn't thinking about it on the front end, but it was occurring to me now about how we communicate, what we say, what's being communicated intentionally or not. And I, it didn't jump out at me because I'm a natural listener. Uh, I've been in ministry 25 years. I've been married for 20 years, you know, school hard knocks. I need to listen better. And I caught it. And I realized I need to make an adjustment. Not because someone was insulted, not because someone was demanding it, but because I wanted my friend, my colleague, to know that I loved and I respected him. And that's the way he would hear it. Respect. And so the rest of the conversation, he was Pastor Thomas. I did my best to do justice in my relationship with my friend. And if we can do that in the small things in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, uh, in our work relationships, in our church, if we can acknowledge the dignity that we all have that is our birthright by being made in the image of God and seek to restore it in each other, there's going to be joy. There's going to be satisfaction. And do I have to explain to you how wonderful it is when you've been mistreated and someone finally says, hey, look, I see what's going on and I hear your complaints. How can I help? Ooh, it's a good feeling. If we can do that in small ways in our circumstances, how awesome would that be? The scriptures talk about that. Describe it in Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's sweet. What a witness that would be to the world. If we could look across racial or cultural or gender or, or, or personal issue divides that we have to listen to one another. No more rolling over a minority perspective. No more dismissing each other because of past hurts. No more mansplaining and no more rolling of the eyes when it goes on. If we could seek each other's dignity, do justice in our relationships, what a church we would be. Is that what you want? Let's pray that the Lord will work that in our midst. Father, we come to you now, and we thank you for your word, and, and we pray that as we think about this issue of justice, that you would not only work it out in our lives that we might experience justice, but that we might become agents of justice. Not because we're responding to someone who is demanding or, or insulted, but because we love and respect the people around us. Because that's the way you've treated us. That's the way you've designed us. You sought to restore us at great sacrifice to yourself. Help us, Lord, to live as you did. Give ourselves away that others might know love and justice as well. Work that in us, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
we have an opportunity now to renew our relationship with the Lord as we come to the Lord's table. Here we're reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf to free us from the oppression of sin and death, to restore our dignity, to restore the glory that he meant, from us, meant for us from, from the beginning. Uh, and as we come to this table, we're saying, yes, Lord, thank you for that great sacrifice. Uh, and we're also saying, Lord, we want to walk as you walked. Work that in us by your spirit. Empower us to be like Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So when we come to the supper, what we're doing is not simply a ritual, but we're participating in a, in a spiritual discipline that the spirit uses in a very mysterious way to empower and inspire us to live as Jesus lives. Would you pray with me that the Lord would use these ordinary things for that extraordinary purpose? Father, thank you again for your love and grace and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this reminder of that commitment. We pray that by your spirit, you would use it to uh, remind us of your love, that we'd be encouraged by that message, but then also inspired and compelled even to leave this place, to live as Jesus lived, and to seek the dignity and, 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 and to seek to do justice for our neighbor, for our family, for our community. Father, work that in us by your spirit, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, giving thanks for it. He broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Same way after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new bond between us in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death the power of it, the significance of it, the love that inspired it. We proclaim that to ourselves and to the world until he comes again. Just a few words of instruction. Servers will come and serve you. And as the bread comes around, if you want a gluten-free option, there, it is there underneath the, uh, the napkin, so you can take that there. And uh, please hold the elements uh, until everyone is served. If it's your faith, that you look to Jesus to redeem you from your sin. He invites you to come and be strengthened in that faith. It doesn't matter if it's weak or strong. In fact, if our faith is weak, it's the reason he gave it to us, that we might be strengthened and reminded how much he loves us. If it's not your faith, I would encourage you to let the elements pass. And don't be embarrassed by that. We just are, don't want to encourage you to, to profess something with your actions, which wouldn't be true of your heart and mind. But maybe this is the moment. You say, yes, Jesus, I do trust you. Put your faith in him. Would the servers please come up?